Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. I am here with one showdown, Joe Ferraro. It is June 25th. We got lots to talk about. I've been hyping this up. Joe and I have no bridges left to burn. This is the most no BS MMA podcast you're going to find. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to basically read off a press release. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun, and there's lots to talk about. I didn't do post shows for this past weekend shows uh, as it was just a, a busy weekend. And as it turns out, that'll be the case for like three of the next four weekends. I'll be doing short uh, news update videos on the results, but me and show will, or me and Joe rather, I guess kind of me and show me and show down. will be reviewing these events here on the fightful MMA podcast every Tuesday, 2 PM Eastern. Joe, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm excited until I saw that tweet about 10 to 15 minutes ago from you saying we have no bridges to burn. I, I thought to myself, <laughs> what am I getting into today? Sean's going to lose his marbles and a whole bunch of things. I already know it. So then I had to respond back with my own tweet beforehand. So, or afterwards, sorry. So yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be an interesting show. How does, how do I even approach this, Joe? Artem Lobov beat Polly Malinaji in a bare knuckle boxing fight and really beat him. I don't think it was like a bad decision or anything. I think he beat the man. This is this is what happens. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know because heading into this fight, especially last week, the way you and I spoke, and we thought, you know, listen, come on, let's be honest for a second. This is not even going to be close. You know, Polly's going to just school him. We're talking about you know former champion in boxing, and you know what bare knuckle is what? Just you're removing the gloves, kind of, and. You know, a little bit of tweak of the rules here and there, but you figure a guy like Monaghi is going to sit there and just destroy Lobov. Well, wow. Uh, is, is Lobov really that good at yeah. bare knuckle? Or is Pauly that <laughs> – is just Pauly's skill set completely gone? So Undefeated GOAT. Now, we can break down <laughs> all of this the way that we want. Uh, a lot of people – I mean, okay – Polly Malinagi, Malinagi, however the hell you want to say his name, body shot is going to hurt you. These are two-minute rounds. I think I think Lobov, I think they went like, what, 10 minutes? That's two MMA rounds for Lobov, who, for better or for worse, is a machine. What did you think when you heard of this result going I, down? 
I, I, well, the result itself when I on you know saw his hand raised, I'm like, I'm really seeing this. Like this, this, like it's one of those things. It's not epic. It's not earth shattering. It's not going to stop the rotation of the globe. It was just one of those. What? This is like this really happened. Like this is insane. So I, I don't like to talk traffic numbers, but I'm, I'm going to do it in this situation. Hey, if you subscribe to this channel, you realize put up some clickbaity stuff to get some traffic on on this channel. It's a newer channel. Uh, that wasn't necessary for the bare knuckle coverage on Saturday. Joe, it was blowing away some lower level UFC pay per view cards. What? How much? How does that make any sense? Makes like, perfect sense. It's amazing. I, I think it's fantastic. It makes perfect sense. Now, for, forget about the freak show argument because you know we're not saying bare knuckle fighting is is a freak show, but it draws attention. Okay. Uh, Artem Lobov against Pauli Malinagi draws more attention than I'd hazard to say maybe 65 to 70% of UFC bouts of those fights because they don't mean anything. And, you know, we're beating this horse over and over again till we're blue in the face. So many of UFC bouts don't mean jack. Same thing with Bellator. Some of these fights don't mean a damn thing to the rankings. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to watch them unless the fights are relevant. When the fights are relevant, you'll grab the attention uh, of not just those in the MMA bubble, but those perhaps in the mainstream. Now, I'm not saying bare knuckle uh, fighting is mainstream, but people wanted to tune in. They wanted to know what's happening, what's going on with this, because there's so many different ties over to Conor McGregor with that main event fight. So it meant something, Sean. It, It was relevant. Therefore, the, the 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 traffic that we were lucky to get on the site is well deserved, and we got to thank Bernickel Fighting in general because they put something on in the combat sports world that people want to tune into and watch, and that's what matters. What does that say about Conor McGregor's popularity? That the guy that got hired because Conor McGregor was in the UFC, and I mean he he did have a nice tough run, sure, uh, at times, who washed out of the UFC, mind you. Sub 500 is taking on a guy who, well, let's be honest, Polly was an excellent boxer. He's a fantastic a- analyst, too. Oh, yeah. Really, really great at that. But these days is known as the guy that got pieced up by Conor McGregor in a, in a sparring session. That was what built this fight. And that's amazing, Joe. It is. If you think about it, I mean, Polly's reputation now is going to take a huge hit because A, the already up. has. Already yeah. has. I, I'm a part of so many boxing groups on Facebook. Yeah. They are trashing him hard. Yeah, well, think about it. You know, quote unquote, like I said, he got pieced up by Conor McGregor in training. And then people were like, well, no, we didn't see the full footage. And the footage from Conor's camp was BS. They're only showing the good stuff, blah, blah. So Paulie went off on a rant, started losing his marbles, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes and he fights Conor McGregor, one of Conor McGregor's training partners, who we all know, Conor McGregor, would piece. Uh, Artem Lobov at will whenever he wanted. So uh, that happens. And I know that sometimes combat sports math doesn't add up, but do you really want to see Conor McGregor against Pauly Malinagi now? No, man. No, Conor McGregor would beat the brakes off of Pauly, and it wouldn't be close. There were some other familiar faces on this show, Joe. Uh, Chris Lieben lost, but Johnny Bedford won, and he's found a new lease on life with bare-knuckle fighting. So good for Johnny Bedford, man. He looked just thrilled, overwhelmed, excited that that he was here and, and winning a championship. 
Also, that bare knuckle title looks exactly like what a bare knuckle title probably you thought it would look like. <laughs> but is there anything else that stood out to you to this? This is catching on, Joe. Yeah, Bedford, Bedford winning the titles is fantastic. You know, UFC veteran, so that's kind of what caught my eye. But um, you know, it, when when the bare knuckle people, there's been two organizations, and when they first contacted me about a year or two ago uh, about getting involved, I'm like, I don't know, you guys got to figure out if you're ever going to get sanctioned before I even come on board, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of crazy, but you take a look at where, where they're sanctioned and you, and you understand what's happening here. Right. So I wonder if it's going to catch on, um, you know, elsewhere in the States. I, I doubt it's going to catch on in Canada. You, you never know. You never know. But uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to watch this, you know, quote unquote sport grow. What do you think this means for the potential of bare knuckle MMA, Joe? And when you think of that, if bare knuckle MMA becomes a thing and it does filter to the higher levels, does that benefit the striker or the grappler? I think it's the same. I think it's the same no matter what bare knuckle or not, because um, bottom line is depending on how your hands are wrapped. It, I mean, the, the whole purpose of getting your hands wrapped and your knuckles wrapped and wearing gloves is to protect your hands, is to protect your knuckles. So if all of a sudden the, the striker gets the grappler down to the ground or the grappler pulls guard and then you start punching the top of the skull, your hand's going to break, right? If it's not wrapped or taped properly, it's going to it's gonna break, right? So it, it, it's tough to say. Uh, I think it's just a style versus style matchup, fighter versus fighter to determine uh, who would benefit. But uh, it's very tough to say. And, and of course, you know, if you want to start app- opening up your hand and start using palm strikes, we're going old school pancreas here, right? So, yeah, uh, I- I'm here for the bare knuckle stuff. I am all for it as long as these guys get paid. That's yeah. what that's the thing I'm worried about because there have been issues with other companies and making that happen. I- I- I'm okay with that. I'll tell you what, I didn't know that I would be so perplexed and confused about a Cincinnati world champion in MMA (laughs) because I sure as hell didn't expect it to be Rafael Lovato Jr. But it happened, Joe. Lovato defeats Gegard Musashi. Not a lot of people saw this one coming. Bellator 223, London, whatever the hell it is they called that show. Rafael Lovato Jr. wins by a majority decision, but it's not a situation where – it, it, he won on more scorecards than than anything. So that's that's what's important to me. There is a bit of the question of Gegard Musashi, did he win a 10-8 round? But I want to know your thoughts on this. And do you think they run it back? Yeah, they're going to run it back. I think they're going to run it back. I mean, it, it was it was close enough for, you know, you can make the argument that's, that that 10-8 round could have stood, uh, which changes a few things. And then, you know, I mean, good on Lovato Jr., man. He, he did what he had to do. Um, you know, emerged victorious. I like how he was emotional afterwards. Um, but at the same time, you and I talked about it, and I mentioned it last week. It just seems that Gegard Musasi will compete and fight based on what his opponents gives them or gives him. He competes at a level of his opponent, and rarely, for some reason, I shouldn't say rarely because he's got so many fights, but not often enough does he compete at Musasi's level where he dominates uh, most of the fighters. Or he just has this thing where he just competes at their level and then gets caught, you know, and then and then ends up costing himself a win yeah uh this was still a shocker though rafael lovato jr i mean this was the guy that we talked about like gerald harris was signed to kind of feed to him yeah and it seems like so short of of a time that that happened also in this show melvin manhoof paul daly get wins although they are unanimous decision wins that isn't the type of win you necessarily want if you're bellator out of them but no a win nonetheless 
you want to win no matter what it is from James Gallagher. And he got that. Aaron Chalmers, however, finished his opponent. But it wasn't any of those performances that necessarily stood out to me. It was Kate Jackson mm-hmm. who beat the brakes off of Elena. That was that was a good one. You have Oliver Incamp with a first-round win. Uh, when I look at this this show, I will remember Lovato winning this championship, Joe. But there were a whole lot of people that Bellator wanted to win on this show that did win on this show. Yeah, well, the daily silver fight was pretty fantastic, I and mean, those yeah. guys went back and forth. But I think we should give kudos to Charlie Ward, who you know he took a whooping and kept yes, coming back. Yeah, right. Like I mean, Melvin Manho, if you even just looking at him, he's I mean he's a light heavyweight, right? He's no longer that middleweight. So it's one of those things where he's he's, he's you know he's getting older. Um, still, you know, had some pretty good ground and pound. You know, did emerge victorious, but. Uh, you know, Gallagher went through a bit of trouble. Good for him. You know, I'm pretty impressed with that. And, and you know, it, it is what it is with, with all the other fights. But I, I like Charlie Ward's fight, man. He, he took a whooping, took a beating, and was still able to come back and emerge victorious. So good on him. Yeah, this was a, a solid show. But, man, matched up against that, that Greenville UFC event, it was a little hard to – even though there was a title fight and some good fighters, I was just, like, keeping my eye on UFC Greenville. And it was a hell of a show. Darren Wynn and Eric Spicely had an instant middleweight classic. Uh, Eric Spicely was the guy who got cut from the UFC last year, and justifiably so. Went to CES, immediately won his first two fights back, Joe, and got a Darren Wynn or Darren Wynn, whatever the hell, however, however you pronounce it, however you style it, <laughs> match that is not favorable. And he almost won it, Joe. I mean, when I say almost won it, in that he took a lot of shots, didn't go away. They it just threw down this was an instant middleweight classic endorsed by dana white on twitter yes of course well if you put on a show and the boss is gonna say something right but spicely just has that bad luck with the ufc like he's he's he finally gets back and runs into a win who's just an absolute beast in that fight but those guys went back and forth so uh you know congrats to both and you know sometimes you look at a fight like that and you think to yourself guys thank you thank you for putting on that performance and yes tim uh, Tim Traver on, on the chat there is talking about my shirt. This is the coaching shirt. Hmm. Uh, most of my guys wear the shirt during practice, so we have the little guys running around in this. But we have a big game this week, Sean, so my mind is set uh, on defeating the heavyweight titans uh, of our division on Thursday. Oh, nice. So a uh, big practice uh, going on tonight. So I'm already dressed in my, my soccer gear pretty much, minus the soccer shoes. Uh, I'm jacked uh, to get the boys in the field uh, this evening and get some, uh, some drills down. So elsewhere on this Greenville show, uh, just lots of good stuff on there and yeah. some inconsistent stuff too. But Molly McCann was super over with this crowd, just taking down Lipsky, who was heavily favored, yeah. dominating her in the fight, posing after she takes Lipsky down. This is great. The women need characters like this, Joe. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where you know everyone has to figure out their own little niche, right? Uh, you know, I guess uh, you guys in the pro wrestling world call it the gimmick, right? Yeah. But sometimes you just got to find your gimmick and run with it. Unfortunately, it always reminds me of Daniel Cormier, though, right? The poor guy went through absolute hell getting all that heat earlier on in his UFC career. He didn't do anything wrong. He just people hated on him, and now it eventually turned around, uh, and so many people love him right now. But, yeah, good for Molly, man. She's, she's, find that gimmick, do your thing, and generate as much attention as you possibly can, because these careers, they don't get it. Some of them don't understand it. They don't last that long. You can only fight for a very small portion of your life. I thought her performance was really good. But then we get Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Yep. 
One of the yeah. it should be probably the shortest heavyweight knockout ever. But you know, you have all that time before you touch gloves and the time it takes for the ref to stop it. Nine seconds officially off of a counter jab, Joe. And from the point that they touched gloves to the point to where Crowder was out, it was less than 4.9 seconds. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean that, after that, that, from the point their gloves touched to the yeah. point where Crowder was out cold. And, I mean, you have to even reset after that. Yeah. It's always bad when the UC shows the full fight in the replay, right? It's one yes. of those things. But, yeah, oh, that, that jab, uh, I mean. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but Rosenstruck even goes on his interview and says, I think that was my shortest fight because like six months ago, he won one in 10 seconds. <laughs> so, but again, now you start thinking, what kind of power does he actually generate? Cause you got to look at the content of, of his, of the competition that he competed against. Right. But mm-hmm. man, uh, a, a jab like that, dropping a heavyweight, I don't know, man, that that's kind of crazy. And then the, the accuracy of his ground and pound, the first punch, second punch, missed third punch landed. Whew. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's tough to say because you always want to see guys and girls suffer when they compete just to see what kind of heart they have, what they do with adversity. But, man, this dude here is just fantastic. Were you there when he beat Andre Kovalev or was that the event you didn't cover for Ryzen? Uh, last May. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Split, it was split decision last May. Kovalev was like, I think, 8-0, 9-0 going into that fight. Hasn't fought since, but it was a split decision. And that's really the only bit of susceptibility we've seen out of Rosenstruck so far. Because as I mentioned, six months ago, he knocked the man out uh, in 10 seconds. But I mean, that's the thing. If he's knocking people out, that's what makes me be like, okay, I don't know if the level of talent is important because he's knocking these people out. Like, it's not like they're getting hit and folding and going, oh no, I can't take it anymore. These guys are getting knocked out cold, by and large. And Junior Albini, I mean, you can say what you want. His, his run in the UFC has been less than stellar. He's lost three in a row. But the guy beat Timothy Johnson, and that's a pretty good win. But he's been facing top-level guys. He's going to have another fight, uh, I think, this weekend, which we'll talk about, uh, does Albini. But I'm looking forward to Rosenstruck. He's a guy that the UFC can kind of throw out there and, and – put on a show and say, Hey, he knocks people out and he does it in under 10 seconds. It's his time to do it. He's 31. You got a lot of room in that heavyweight division to do that. Uh, I would give him one more fight out of the top 15 and all of a sudden start throwing him in there. If he, if he can finish him like that again, you got to put him against the top 10 guy or top 15 well, guy. I, just to go back to your point, you know, I've, I've called way too many fights. I've seen way too much MMA uh, I think I'm past 20 years. Let's just say two decades worth of experience that I call this fight versus Andre Did you? <laughs> right? And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, did I call this fight? And as soon as I looked up the event, I'm like, that was Horiguchi McCall. Yeah. yeah. I called that fight. So yeah, I called this fight there. So uh, I do remember it wasn't the most exciting fight versus Kovalev because we were. St- I think Frank and I were kind of like, okay, guys, you want to try and finish this? Or yeah. what's going on here? But it was a split decision. I remember that. So uh, yeah, I mean... The dude's got power. You're saying one more fight against someone out of the top 15? Yeah, why not? I mean, I'd like to see him. You know, when you start knocking out dudes the way he's knocking out dudes, it just makes you think, like, you went from Ryzen, you're in you're in the UFC right now. You know, does that power translate? Because it didn't happen in Japan. I know it's different rule set, different sort of environment. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned Junior Albini. You know, it, it's one of those things with 
Jorginho, that that you you look at the scraps that are available to him. I mean, I'd like to see him fight Walt Harris. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. You know, that'd be a fantastic fight. Walt Harris is saying that no one's got the speed that he has in that division. Well, Jorginho could say he's no one's got the power that he has in that division. Let's see. Luis Pena defeated Matt Wyman, but the story wasn't necessarily about Pena. Is do you think Wyman's done? Uh, he took so long out of the cage. I mean, we're talking years, and he's thirty-five years old right now. Uh, he hadn't fought in four and a half years, Joe. But the thing is, before that, he uh, he went three and four or three and one. So I mean, he was on a hot streak, but there was nothing about this fight against Luis Pena that looked like it was a hot streak. It looked, he looked terrible. Well, I mean, the first question you asked me is Matt Wyman done. Uh, I think he's done at the elite level, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if he wants to compete at the grassroots and, and, you know, if he's not going to take too much damage and, and earn a paycheck, sure. Why not? But, you know, we just saw that he took on uh, Luis Pena, who I don't even think is ranked in the top 15 no. uh, of the UFC. And, you know, uh, I think the term that's generally used on this show is mollywopped. Right? I think he was done at the elite levels in like 2011, yeah. Yeah. to be so honest that, with you. He was losing to Seaver and TJ Grant back when, you know, TJ Grant, that's a guy well, who was supposed to get a title shot at one point. But He yeah. was. He had it. It was there in Milwaukee. Then he got a concussion and people ripped him apart saying it was a fix. So, yeah. He's really so milking big. that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, big time. Six years. <laughs> Unbelievable. But uh, in addition to this, there was Ashley Yoder defeating Sherry Kondo. I fully expect Sherry Kondo to end up back in the pro wrestling world. I know that she's worked uh, a couple of matches here and there, but uh, she'll be back there. Dane Ige defeating Kevin Aguilar. Kevin Holland emerged victorious. You have Andrea Lee, number 10, defeating Montana Deli Rosa. Uh Pretty solid performance out of uh, Andrea Lee. You had Andre Ewell defeating Anderson Dos Santos. And uh, Randy Brown with a sustained beating of Brian Barberina. Now, we lost the John Lineker-Rob Font fight. This this card should not have existed as (laughs) it was presented, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. No disrespect to Randy Brown or Brian Barberina. That ain't co-main event. Yeah. Why why they gotta do this? Yeah, it was your tweet that sent me off that I was kind of laughing about this is the co-main and they we've been waiting for. All you yeah. fans have been waiting for. No, you're right, you're right. I mean, but you know, first things first, kudos to Randy Brown for that performance. Uh and of course Brian Barbarina just won't go away until you, you know, put him to sleep or mm-hmm. referee's gotta step in there, right? So it, I mean it's it's tough to and this goes back to our conversation earlier on about bare knuckle fighting, right? Like, I mean, Randy Brown versus Brian Barbarina is only a fight. That excites Randy Brown's family and friends, Barbarina's family and friends, a few people in the MMA bubble, and that's it. Yeah. Right? This this show should have had Tatiana Suarez and Ina Ansaroff on it, and yeah. perhaps Calvin Qatar and Ricardo Lamas. Yeah. And, and it would have meant something. And hey, if you, if you don't want to move a couple fights back from last week, you, you, gotta, you got Eric Anders this weekend. He at least has a little bit of name value and familiarity there, or... Throw Damian Maya off Minneapolis onto this show. Like, why not? Um, eh, eh. But Randy Brown had a really good performance, as did the Korean zombie. I'm done doubting him, Joe. <laughs> I, I doubted him. I doubted that he deserved the Jose Aldo fight. I doubted him when he came back after that layoff. I was like, man, he's going to be washed. No, he wasn't. 
even though that, that performance wasn't necessarily a ringing endorsement of his consistent abilities, neither was his last fight. This one was. He just obliterated Moicano. That was amazing. I, I can't doubt him. Now, I saw people calling for him to fight Max Holloway, saying to hell with sense. I like a little bit of sense, guys. I do. Uh, would I hate to see that fight? No, I would not. But I want to know what you think, Joe, of his performance and where he goes from here. Well, last week, as I predicted, uh, I said the Korean zombie was going to beat Moicano because there's not much MMA mileage uh, on the Korean zombie because of his two years plus uh, in the in the military, right? So he was able to almost save two years of his career that now he's able to enjoy uh, in competing. Chansung Jung is something special. First off, kudos to that Greenville crowd who lost their marbles when he started walking out, lost their minds when he was winning, and lost their minds after he won. I mean, um, the replay was just something majestic to the point where my son looked. and Because my son now basically looks at this, Sean. He looks at the two fighters, the deems who's the scariest looking. That's who wins. So Renato's Renato's more scarier looking than Korean Zombie. So my son picked him. Then he looked at the rankings. He's asked, Daddy, which one's higher? They showed the number on the screen. I said, well, you know, the Brazilian's higher, right? He's like, well, he's going to win. The higher the number. I said, it doesn't work that way, bud. You you just never know. I said, pay attention to the Korean Zombie. You know, Daddy's bobbing his head because the Cranberries are playing. Daddy loves that song. but It's phenomenal. Yeah. Watch how he fights. And then... The look on my son's face, Sean, and everyone tuned in right now, when he dropped him was the stun. And then the replay of the dip and the bang, the right hand landing and, and Moicano's jaw just, right? It was one of those, whoa, whoa. And that sends a message to a lot of people. Sure, pissed off Mark Hominick because uh, yeah. Mark Hominick got dropped by Chan Sung Jung in, in Toronto, which kind of was brutal. But um, I think it was Toronto or maybe even Montreal. But either way, Pay attention to the Korean zombie. Let's remember that MMA mileage on his body isn't as much as half of these guys because he was able, or he did take two years off. What a, a main event. What a performance. Great out of Korean zombie. Um, what about Moicano? What, what do we see out of him next? It's back. To, it's got to be back to the drawing board, Joe. Yeah, I mean, he's got a, you know, I'm not, I hate to say they got to give him an easier fight, but uh, something's got to build this guy's confidence back because, you know, he's, he's, you know, taking a beating like that is already going to be bad enough for your conscience. And remember, he's coming off that loss to, to Jose Aldo in February, which was, you know, only in the second round, 44 seconds into the second round. So Moicano's confidence right now is likely at an all-time low. Uh, he's lost to the elite of this division, you know, Ortega, Aldo, and, and Korean Zombie. Now, he has defeated Cub Swanson and Calvin Qatar. Uh, you know, it's pretty good, and Jeremy Stevens. So there, there, there's still something there that we got to pay attention to. But coming off now, three of your last five uh, fights you've lost. His confidence is probably an all-time low. They've got to go back to the drawing board, like you said. Uh, and the UFC has to figure out, like, what do you want to do with this guy? Because, you know, he, he's got the skill. He's 30 years old. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, what do you do? Are you Can you not compete in the top five or top ten of the division? Is that where we're at right now? Because we got to figure this out, man. So we've got plenty of MMA news this week as well. Yep. A hot topic on this show, Joe, has been the fact that Jose Aldo has said that he was going to retire at the end of this year. Now, in the past, he has said that he's going to play soccer, said that he's going to box, said that he is going to uh, be a, a professional knitter. I think his nickname was going to be the Knit Lord, where he just like makes blankets and stuff. Like I think that he had a lot of aspirations outside of MMA. Not so much. Jose Aldo signs a new eight-fight deal with the UFC. 
Now, I'll tell you what, Joe. This makes me want to see him at lightweight immediately. Eight-fight deal. You've lost to Holloway twice. Let's move up to lightweight, see how that goes. You lost to Volkanovski. Give it a shot. Why not? Uh, what do you think of Jose Aldo re-signing? Eight fights. Uh, good, Great news for the UFC. And uh, what, what's with his future? I mean, I'm completely and utterly not surprised whatsoever. I mean, half the stuff that comes out of Jose Aldo's camp is is sometimes ridiculous. Are you sad that he's not going to play for your soccer team? Uh, yeah, because I know he's got skills. We, him yeah. and I, and uh, I think who was it? Who might have been Mark or somebody? When we were in Calgary promoting the show, uh, we did a bunch of soccer stuff and some football stuff, kicking field goals. So I got to see firsthand the power that he could generate with his kicks. But could, uh, he, could he kick a field goal too? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, wow! Amazing. Yeah. Pretty damn good. He's got the soccer skills, man. That's one of the things people don't understand is the translation or transition from soccer to MMA or at least Muay Thai can actually work because of the way soccer players have to turn their hip over to generate power to kick a ball. Uh, Faraz Ahabi taught, taught a class up in up, uh, about, I would say, 45 minutes from here, Sean, uh, in Orangeville, Ontario, uh, and taught about you know who, who, who soccer players, how many soccer players are out here. And a couple of fighters put their hands up or a couple of the those that were trained, he put their hands up. They got up and he showed them how to chop using soccer kicks uh, for Muay Thai. It's, it's a translatable uh, skill or trans, you can use that skill very, very well. So uh, another reason why Jose Aldo can fire off those kicks quickly and accurately. So, and to, to echo your comment about lightweight, oh, hell yeah. Move up, son. Let's go. Let's see you fight at 155. I'm ready to see that. Uh, I, I want to. I want Aldo to have a new lease on life as well. I want to see him do something different, something new, uh, something that isn't different or new. Sean O'Malley has to be pulled from another fight due to uh, situations surrounding drug tests and. Huh. O'Malley in a social media post stated that there were extremely low levels of uh, Osterine found in his system. Now, this substance in particular, there have been some issues with it as it pertains to USADA. Uh, USADA issued a statement to Bloody Elbow and said, in reaction to Mr. O'Malley's statement, USADA can confirm that the NSAC uh, was notified on June 15th that additional samples were collected and... Uh, reported by WADA-accredited laboratories to contain trace amounts of Osterine. Uh, a temporary su- suspension has been issued, but he might be willing to, or he might be able to get some help from USADA uh, on this matter. What do you make of it? Like, I do like that it is on the fighters themselves to issue the statements until they're proven that they've done something wrong. I think that's a great move, Joe. But O'Malley can't catch a break. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm torn on this one here. I'm kind of fifty fifty on this one here. You got to be careful what you're ingesting, what's out there, what's going on. Um, you know, this this guy had so much hype behind him. That freight train or that hype train was really moving forward for him, and it just continues to get derailed. Uh, let's not forget the the you know what he did in the contender series and how Dana was super impressed and, and this guy's, you know, career is continuing to derail uh, over and over again. So I'd like to see him compete, but got to get in that cage. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's, it's very frustrating. And uh, it's a promising young fighter who ha- just can't stay in the cage, can't get in the cage, much less stay in the cage. 
It is it is a little ridiculous. Uh, also ridiculous. Colby Covington isn't getting a title shot. I am not with this at all. Colby Covington, the former interim welterweight champion who has never lost that title, is now facing Robbie Lawler, who lost, quote-unquote, his last fight. Kamaru Usman has said that he expects to fight Rob, or Ben Askren in the fall. Keep in mind, Ben Askren has never technically lost, but had a very controversial fight with Robbie Lawler. Joe, we've had a log jam and a confusing situation at Welterweight for a long time. And the UFC goes and muddies the water. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Waters even more. It was not hard, Joe. Usman and Covington. Lawler and Astrid again. What? What is going on? Uh, you know what? Masvidal and Edwards. It was real simple, Joe. The matches made themselves. The promotion booked itself. The fighters did all the hard work, Joe. And the UFC goes out of their way. To give people a bunch of fights that they're asking for less than what they were handed. What the? F- what is going on? Makes no sense. Zero. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Unless there's something or a lot of things, moving parts behind the scenes for these matchups to get made. Other than the ones that should have been made. I don't get it. Is Kamaro injured? Is he injured to the point where he can't compete till later this year? Is Covington, you know, needing this cash? I mean, Covington and Lawler did. I mean, I'm sure they've trained together. You know, these are training partners now fighting uh, in a main event. I mean, just, just it's Colby Covington, in my opinion, does not have to fight for the right to compete for the title. It's the interim champ. He did that. You know, all the BS that happened afterwards, and you know that the, it, it, it I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, and you know the Askren situation with Lawler needs to happen again. Due to the controversy, although you know we, we can go back and forth about how that fight was stopped, there, there's the whole um, Mosfidal and Edwards situation. It was right there, easy sell, easy promotion, and, and just the it's like it's like they're in their the matchmaking team. Right, I'm just like I said with a caveat to say whatever's happening behind the scenes and the moving parts or situations we don't know about, uh, notwithstanding. It's like the pieces of the puzzle were there for them to put it together easily. Just slide the pieces together, match made. Other pieces together, match made. No, we're going to change these up, or we're going to cut the puzzle pieces to our make them fit ourselves. And what doesn't make sense? I, I don't get it. And Usman has said he can't fight until November. Okay, oh. I'm fine with that. 
why is Robbie Lawler fighting Masvidal? Why is not Masvidal fighting Edwards? Why are Lawler and Askren, after that first fight, the controversial nature, the exciting nature, why are they not fighting each other? And in the meantime, Covington can fight somebody else. Fight. You know what? I'm not against tune-up fights. And if you know somebody's injured and they, they got to do something else, I'm not opposed to that. Put Covington second from the top on this show against somebody in the top 15. I'm okay with that. I'm completely fine with it. Um, I would not hate to see him fight Ponzinibbio instead in the meantime. Ponzinibbio's won a bunch of fights in a row, uh, is a guy that can compete, and it helps preserve those other matches. And hey, you know what? If Ponzinibbio happens to knock out Colby Covington, he's got a big-ass name, and now he's in the mix. But when you get lobbed these floaters, these softballs, you just, you got to knock them out of the park. You got to knock them out of the park because you don't know how long those fights are going to be around. You don't know how long these fighters are going to be around. Joe, we saw this with Ryan Bader and Daniel Cormier. Ryan Bader had never been at his most interesting than when he crashed that press conference. Not only did the UFC not book the fight, they let him go. And what happened? He got even more interesting, and now they will never have that fight, ever. It's real frustrating to me that you can have situations just handed to you. And let me tell you, Joe, it really frustrates me in pro wrestling because they can control everything. But when it happens in MMA, it's even more frustrating to me because it's not easy to manufacture what Robbie Lawler and Ben Askren did. It's not easy to manufacture what Masvidal and Edwards did. It's not easy to manufacture what Usman and Covington had. Is it going to result in like major pay-per-view buys? No, but damn it, it'll make my Saturday nights easier. <laughs> I, listen, as MMA fans, forget the fact that we talk about it, we cover it and, and all that jazz there. As an MMA fan, what we want are generally, I, I assume, three things. We want answers to fights. When a fight is made, it's because we are looking for an answer, especially when this person talks trash about that person, trash back. It generates hype. Now we want an answer. Who's the better fighter? The second thing we like, or the main thing we like, are championship fights. We like championship fights because any fight that's a championship fight, for the most part, will give us an answer to who the best in the world is at that division. And the other one is always unfinished business. If it generate, if something happens in a fight that requires another answer, aka unfinished business, uh, double aka in terms of Robbie Lawler and Ben Askren, give us that fight. It's unfinished business. We want to tune in. We want to see the result, the actual result. You can make the argument Askren won that fight. Blah blah blah. I get it, but for the most part, it's unfinished business. So those are the three things we want. We want answers. We want title fights. So we want relevant fights, and we want answer, and we want to unfinished business resolved. Four things. Whew. Is that asking so much? It is. Apparently. Absolutely it is. Apparently it is because it doesn't make sense. It just continues to happen. I get it. If anyone's ever had you know, conversations with some of the people involved uh, with the UFC matchmaking team, you'll know. You'll know that they operate in a completely different frequency. And again, I, I also know from, from past experience that sometimes fights do not get put together for a variety of reasons. And it's stuff that's behind the scenes that never makes it to the light of day. It'll never be public record. I get it, but we don't know uh, unless it ever comes out. But 
this dichotomy of silliness doesn't make sense. Reports indicate that France may be legalizing MMA next year. UFC's going to go there. They, they got to take. They got to go there, right? Shut up. Welcome to 2001. Yeah. 2005, 2009. Like, oh, France government's just ridiculous. I love the French people. <laughs> but your government is insane. So uh, Frank Mir has shown up in pro wrestling again on the independent circuit alongside uh, the likes of Austin Aries. But they also have, uh, I think, Killer Cross, who you're not familiar with, but uh, has some extensive catch wrestling training. Stefan Bonner. And I, I feel like Gina Mazzani as well. Phil Baroni. Do any of these names surprise you? Several have been involved in pro wrestling in the past. Uh I think Mazzani was one that I I wasn't exactly expecting to just pop up in pro wrestling, but I'm rather excited to see how she does because based on what I've seen, MMA fighters make that transition very easily. Have you seen Frank Mir do any works before? Uh, Bloodsport, which is a a no pin. Well, yeah, it's no pin. It's only KO and submission. There are no ropes. But uh, if, if he sticks to that, he'd probably do pretty well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, it's, you know, every, every time that you mentioned that, you know, MMA fighters can transition uh, over to professional wrestling, I'm always intrigued because listen, if there's a way you can make money to continue your career, oh, I'm all for it. But you, you also have to look good doing it. You also have to know how to play the part and understand how to take bumps, uh, understand the schedule and how bad do you really want it. Uh, you know, I'm all about the mic. You know, I, I'd like to see, you know, how, how some professional wrestlers sell themselves on the mic with whatever gimmick they have. And, you know, I, I rely on you and, and, and the faithful at Fightful uh, to sort of educate me on all things professional wrestling. So, you know, when you tell me Frank Mir, oh, we saw the news of Frank Mir doing it. I just want to know, you know, is he going to be good at it? That's it. Yeah. And, and thus far the MMA pro wrestling crossovers have been exceptional, exceptional. Well, I'm hoping that this Saturday's, UFC show in Minneapolis will be exceptional. Again, no post-show because AEW is running an event uh, that night. So I'll be doing the AEW post-show. So me and Joe will be here talking about it on Tuesday. Let's talk about some of these fights, Joe. Junior Albini, my boy, (laughs) trying to get his kids some more shampoo bottles. A minus 105. Maurice Green, a minus 115. You also have Emily Whitmire, a minus 170. Amanda Rebus, a plus 150. Uh, the Justin Ledette fight just got pulled. So you got Jared Gordon, a minus 360. Dan Moret, a plus 300. Jordan Griffin, a minus 360. Vince Murdoch, a plus 300. Journey Newsom, what a name. Plus 265. Ricardo Ramos, a minus 325. Alonzo Minifield, minus 320. Paul Craig, some uh, plus 260. We got some... Pretty wide lines there. And Junior Albini's at the point, Joe, where I don't even give him his own own fight breakdown. I group him in with the guys that casuals don't know. Yeah, Albini, it just depends on what kind of tire he shows up in. If he wears the diaper, he wins. Hawkeye is, a, is claiming that Minneapolis' show is sold out, which that would be shocking to me. Yeah, it should be sold out. I mean, what venue are they holding it at? Uh, I'll have to look, but... Uh, you can still get fight. You can still get tickets on StubHub. My it's God, you can get Target Center. Yeah, you yeah, can get okay. tickets on StubHub w- without a doubt. Uh, any again, any thoughts on these lines that we have? Uh, 
there there are some there's some pretty wide lines, man. Uh, I, in terms of value, um, Paul Craig at plus two sixty could be value, right? Uh, I mean, I think R- Ramos was going to destroy Newsom. Ramos is, is he's, he's yeah. pretty damn good. Um, Eric Anders uh, against Moreira, you might get some value out of Vinicius, but yeah, it's it's you look at some of Maybe you can get value even on the minus one hundred five for Junior Albini, who's you know, technically the underdog at a minus 115 for Maurice Green. So at heavyweight, when you're getting that, maybe that is value. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, you're not doubling your money, but close enough, right? Yeah, to our friend Hawkeye in the chat there, tickets all over StubHub right now for under 100 bucks. Elsewhere on this show, Eric Anders, a minus 350, a gigantic favorite over yeah. Morea, a plus 290. Does that surprise you considering some of the hiccups that Eric Anders has had of late? Yeah, sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to mention that. I know you skipped over it. My bad. It's okay. Um, yeah, it's. I, it's a little surprising, to be honest with you. I mean, it, I, maybe at minus two fifty or minus one ninety for Eric Anders, but th- that's what I, you might get some value more area here. You know, I mean, I'd be paying close attention. Uh, you know, I'm sure at the end of the show we got what about twenty less than twenty minutes ago. We'll we'll listen to yeah. Sean's. I got five on it, but that might be one that you hear in Sean because that's. I like Anders. He should win this fight. You know, technically speaking, you should win this fight. But, you know, as Sean mentioned, hiccups. And worth noting, I don't believe the man has ever won a light heavyweight fight. He's lost three in a row. He's lost four out of his last five. So putting him at that at that that line, oh, that's a little, a little tough for me. Now, I know that, that Morea got just washed by Minifield, but... He's got some submission skills, and I don't think that can be understated. I'd probably throw five on it right there. Speaking of midfield, a minus 320 over Paul Craig. I think that line is about right. But then you got guys like Drew Dober, a minus 350 over Marco Polo Reyes, a plus 290. Roosevelt Roberts, a minus 250. Vint Pichel, a plus 210. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts, a guy that UFC thinks a lot of. Drew Dober, heavily favored here. Does anything stand out to you among these two fights, Joe? Yeah, I think Dober shouldn't be at minus 350. I mean, I could be wrong. Uh, bring that one down in the 250s, maybe 210. Um, I think there's value on you know, Marco Polo Reyes. Um, Vince Pichel's getting no love. None. Like, this dude, he's been around, but he doesn't go away when he fights. You know, like, he's he's, he's tough as nails. Pay, t- pay close attention to that. Take nothing away from Roosevelt Roberts, but... Pay attention to that fight, kids. Trust me. Pay attention because, you know, Vince is tougher than most people are giving him credit for. And uh, Drew Dober was on a real hot streak, I thought, for a couple years until he ran into Benil Dariush, and Benil Dariush needed that win. But uh, Polo Reyes is kind of inconsistent, but he's been around for a while. He's got the ability to beat a guy like Drew Dober. Um, Drew Dober is always just so... Hit or miss for me because I think because I remember how he came into the UFC and I remember he had lost some pretty. I mean, he lost his way out of tough. I think season fifteen too. So my first few exposures to Drew Dober were him losing his first two fights in the UFC, lost on tough. He, I think he there was the Landry Silva fight that was a no contest. And I think he had one win in his last his first four fights. Then he had a bunch of fights canceled. So to see him consistently get in the cage is just still so different for me, even two or three years in. So we'll see how that goes. 
Roosevelt Roberts, man, they think a lot of him. He's got that unique body type that that really helps him stand out. I do think that he's going to win that fight. Ah, this fight. Joseph Benavidez and Formiga, they got to be disappointed. We'll talk about, we might as well talk about it now. Henry Cejudo out until 2020, it looks like. What do you do if you're the winner here? Joseph Benavidez, a minus 170. Formiga, a plus 150. I'm going Benavidez here, but it's a bummer of a situation, Joe. Uh, okay, first things first. I can't even figure out who I want to win. Not, so not who I want, who I think will win this fight. Uh, Benavidez is the favorite. Formiga, the underdog. Uh, did you say Benavidez? Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah. I will go with uh, Formiga. I'll, 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 I'll take Formiga this fight here. But in terms of... of who was Cejudo? it you took opposite last week? Was it Korean Zombie or Lovato? It was one of them. You uh, took just to be I difficult. Took, I took Korean Zombie no matter what. I think I took Lovato just to go against you, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't get – I mean, Sukudo is now out till 20 – apparently out till 2020 with two belts. Oh, mm-hmm. this is the UFC's worst nightmares. This is the reason why Dana back in the day said nobody will ever fight for two belts unless it's a big, big fight like BJ Penn, George St. Pierre. Well, look what happened with Conor McGregor. Look what happens now with Suhudo. Look what happens with half these guys that are – that are, are you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So the question you asked was, you know, what do you do if you're Benavides or Formiga? Life sucks, man. you got to fight your tail off for something that's not even going to be worth something probably – you know, in three months from now. And this guy's out for a while, right? It's craziness, craziness. Well, uh, the only positive to Cejudo being out is he ain't getting one of those three fights that he was clamoring for. <laughs> That's not happening. He's not going to get one of those. Because could you imagine them booking people who hadn't won since 2016 in 2020? That's weird. Uh, I would honestly throw Formiga uh, and Benavidez or whoever wins that fight I would have them fight the winner of maybe Marias and Jan at 135 in the interim and do that. And then, hey, let it work itself out. The UFC doesn't like to do that, though. If Benavidez beats Jan or, or Sterling and he wants a 125 title shot, give him that. If he wants a 135 title shot, give him that. I think that Joseph Benavidez has been criminally overlooked in this entire title talk situation. And if I'm him, I feel really really disrespected. I don't like that. Uh, we have Damian Maya, who I have all, uh, often called the knuckleballer of MMA. If he can fight, not get hit very often, and submit people, I think the man can fight into his mid to late 40s. I really think he could. Uh, Anthony Rocco Martin, I don't know if he's going to allow <laughs> Damian Maya to not get hit. He came into the UFC and uh, has just really turned a corner, Joe. This is a guy who lost his first two UFC fights, lost three out of his first four, and since then has won seven of eight. Seven of eight. This is a hot streak, and if he beats Damian Maya, well, you got to put him a little – you definitely got to put him higher than than what he is. I mean, I don't even think the guy – is he ranked? I don't think he's ranked. Won seven of eight, not ranked in this division. What do you see here? Do you, do you see Anthony Rocco Martin at plus 160 pulling out over Damian Maya minus 185? Because I hate to keep, I hate to keep like doubting Maya though, but I think Rocco Martin might be in a good position to get choked out. Yeah, possibly. 
Yeah, because you take a look at, at the two records and the quality of competition. Uh, Maya's three losses in his last four fights. Well, Tyron Woodley for the title shot. Tried to take him down, just had a hard time. Couldn't do it. Uh, lost to Colby Covington, just got outfought. Lost to Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman did not allow Damian Maya to do anything relatively remotely on the ground. So he lost to, the at the time, the top three guys in the division. So three-fight losing streak. He goes up against Lyman Good. Damn good welterweight, and he submitted him in two minutes and 38 seconds. So, Damian Maya, if he's not competing against the upper echelon of the division, remember, this is a guy that's taken out Jorge Masvidal, Carlos Condit, Matt Brown, Gunnar Nelson, Neil Magny, Ryan LaFleur. This is a guy that will put you to sleep very, very quickly, choke you out, break an arm, or do something, okay? Uh, the minute he's able to get that clinch and that trip, it's going to be, you know, I think it's, well, I should say it's going to be a short night, but... Uh, it's going to be one of those situations that I will not be surprised. So many people count on Damian Maya all the time. Uh, but Anthony Rocco Martin uh, is going to be in big trouble if Damian Maya gets that clinch. Main event time. Francis Ngannou minus 250. Junior Dos Santos plus 210. This is a main event, Joe. This is the type of fight that I want to tune in and watch on a Saturday night with my friends. Junior Dos Santos, a minus 210, though. Ooh, there's some value on that, Joseph. What do you think about this one? He's a plus 210. Yes, a plus 210. Did I say yeah. minus? Yes. Okay, sorry. He's a plus 210. There's some value on that. Yes. Now, the real, so before we get into this breakdown, a quick question for you. When Francis Ngannou comes out and he says that Junior Dos Santos' black belt at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is questionable, what? Why? Who cares? I don't, I don't understand. What is the purpose of you saying that? Do you want Junior Dos Santos to take you down to the ground? Because he'll mollywop you on the ground. Yeah. And like, are, are, you saying you're, are you saying your jiu-jitsu is better than Junior Dos Santos? I mean, getting I, in the... It's confusing. And the betting line's confusing to me, Joe, because obviously Nganu has some unbelievable strength and has just destroyed Cain Velazquez and Curtis Blades and Alistair Overeem, but what happened every time he got dragged into deep waters, Joe? Yeah. And I'm talking like one fight of his has went past minute three of round two. One. Yeah. One fight. Uh, that No. I, I, if, if it goes past three minutes in round two, I get the feeling Junior Dos Santos is winning that fight. The, the, putting him at a plus 210 after he has beaten consecutively Ivanov, Tuivasa, and Derek Lewis. He's won four of his last five. I think that is just disrespectful to Junior Dos Santos. Hey, could Nganu knock him out cold in 10 seconds? Yeah, you damn right he could. But I think that line is disrespectful to Dos Santos. I'm looking at this fight and thinking to myself, I'm, I'm picking JDS. I'm picking mm -hmm. JDS because I've lost all kinds of trust in Francis Ngannou, especially after that Derek Lewis fight. Uh, I, I'm also, uh, for, for those that have never been um, to a UFC event, there's, there's something special and different when it's the heavyweights entering the octagon or it's MMA in general. There's something special. It's like, it's a real prize fighting experience. Uh, I used to get that 
just the eerie feeling every time Brock Lesnar would fight the Frank Mears and the Shane Carwins or or the heavyweight champ of the world, whomever it was, was defending the title. Um, heavyweights is just something different. And this is no doubt a main event uh, that should be epic if you're there in person. It's going to be great watching it uh, on television or whatever platform you're going to be using, no ifs, ands, or buts. But um, in, in terms of breaking down this fight, um, Ngannou, just just go watch the highlight of what he did to Alistair Overeem. That that should scare you enough to realize he could do that to anybody, and he could definitely do that to Junior Dos Santos. But Junior Dos Santos has experience, knows how to use his range, but the minute he gets in trouble, he, he gets on his bike. He's going to get on his bike, and if he gets tagged by Ngannou and his face starts swelling up, this is going to be absolutely insane. But I think with Junior Dos Santos' boxing and his jab and how he likes to use his range, uh, if he plays smart, and, and even, I'm not going to say he's going to make it a boring first round, but just you know, uses the time. He's got 25 minutes. Doesn't have to end it in the first five. I think he emerges victorious in this fight by a knockout. I'm going to do my UFC, uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. I got 500 picks. These will be in the predictions videos from now on because they do trash traffic on their own. But let's go ahead and talk about it. Uh, when I look at Dos Santos at a plus 210, there's value there. My God, is there value there? Uh, I I think he could win that fight, and I, I would definitely put five on it there. Uh, when I look at Marco Polo Reyes, the inconsistency of both of these guys, he and Drew Dober, that, that, that leads me to maybe put five on it. I think that one might be a fair, safe bet. And then anytime you have a women's fight, plus 150, Amanda Rebus, Emily Whitmire, minus 170, I'll throw a uh, five on it. You just never know how uh, the skill sets will match up in that regard, especially considering women's MMA. I, I wouldn't say it's in its infancy, but it, it's crawling around right now. It's about to get up and walk and start running, and we're going to have more and more specialists uh, start to show up. Joe, what do you got going on this week? Same old, same old, man. Big, big, big soccer game on Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. Pay attention to my social media, Joe A. Ferraro. Uh, my boys are going against, uh, arguably the best team in our division. So, uh, I am focused as a, a coach can possibly be, uh, to take on our bitter rivals. Uh, I, I, I want to make one thing clear. I don't know if you, actually, I didn't post it, Sean. I, we beat a team last week, 13 to one. Um, and it was a terrible coaching from my perspective. Cause I should have just put the brakes on the minute we were, we were up four, nothing in the first five minutes. So I should have really, but it's hard getting eight and nine year olds to stop scoring. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I got to the point, Sean, where I said no. So, like I said, Stovall Mustangs, right here, Stovall Mustangs. <laughs> I said no, Stovall Mustang will cross center. You get the ball, you kick it up the field to Richmond Hill, and you bring it back. Uh, oh, I shouldn't have mentioned the other team's name. Sorry, um, <laughs> yeah, my bad. Um, so we beat both their teams, by the way. Anyways, if the score on Thursday can starts moving up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to let it keep going. I know you should win gracefully, but this team did it to us. They cheated the system by bringing down their top-tier guys to our division last year, and we're moving up to there. So uh, you might see some interesting uh, social media posts by yours truly Thursday night, Friday morning. I'm excited. Did I ever tell you about my limited experience in coaching Little League Baseball? No. Oh, boy. So I worked and volunteered at a Boys and Girls Club of America for quite a while, and When I was working there, my boss came to me and said, hey, will you coach a little league team? Because I had a love for baseball. I 
can coach a little bit. I teach kickboxing and things. So very familiar with baseball. And I didn't want to. One, this is like, at that point even, the secondary or third league in our city. It was primarily parents who grew up playing in that league that were nostalgic and all that. And I was like, okay. And the only reason they asked me to was because it was there were so many kids that signed up after the deadline, which means one, either the kid or the parents don't care or they have no concept of being on time or whatever it may be. But I was like, you know what? I'll do it. Uh, it could be fun. You always get those coaches that take it way too seriously and don't let the kids have fun. My job was to teach these kids how to play baseball, not make a bunch of other kids feel bad. I mean, these were little kids and if there was, was a kid that needed to move up to the, the top league, I would tell their parents, hey, you should probably get your kid out of this league next year. Yeah. So there were some unwritten rules because, you know, you can't explicitly say, hey, don't do this if it's within the, the, the common rules of baseball and all that. But one of them was, hey, these kids necessarily aren't necessarily the most coordinated, Joe. Mm-hmm. If, you know, a catcher's throwing the ball back to the pitcher and the kid drops it, don't run on him. Fair. This coach did that every time and would scold his kids mm-hmm. when they didn't. And I went over to him and I was like, hey, man, could you could you lay off? It's kind of implied that we don't do that here. These kids are getting demoralized. It's not fun. And he's like, I'm here to win. They're here to win. That's all we're here for. I'm like, okay, fine. Sure, whatever. I can get with that. I'm the most competitive person I know. So I go to my kids who are all demoralized and I'm like, hey kids, do you want to swing away? Do you want to win? This is up to you. I can give you coaching guidance. And they're like, no, we want to win right now. So I said, okay, don't swing at anything next inning. They walked in nine runs, Joe. Nine runs walked in. Love it. The umpire comes to me and says, what's going on here? And I said, we're runs. We're scoring runs. We're winning. My kids aren't swinging at trash pitches. Because this kid's eight years old. He can't pitch. (laughs) He can't keep it over the plate for any consistent amount of time. Yeah. Rule number one for me has always been the same. We got to have fun, boys. We got to have fun. The problem is, is we go against these teams who have programs or associations that have these programs of development to get the teams or players, excuse me, uh, to, to bigger squads here and there. So at this age group, you know, I go out there and, and I, you know, I'm still learning as, as I go, although it's, it's, it's turned into this obsession for me, but now I I definitely pay attention to what's happening with the other team at eight years old, nine years old. These boys, I'm out coaching other coaches, Sean, it's crazy. I try not to, but now I pay attention to what the other team is doing. And if I start noticing that they have no grasp of soccer positioning and uh, what they need to do, blah, 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 I put the brakes on right away. I'm just like, okay, guys, let's just go out there, have fun, blah, blah. But then it's tough. I, dude, at one point in the game, guys, everyone tuned in right now, I switched my forwards and I brought my defense back or my defense to forwards. I switched my goalie out and started doing all these crazy things. And then at 6 nothing, they installed the mercy rule or they instilled the mercy rule where the winning coach gets to decide whether A, I pull a player off the field, or B, they can put a play, an extra player on the field. So I said, you know what? Get your boys some experience. Put your other boys on the field. There was seven like players that. against six. My boys kept molly whopping them. And I was like, oh, my God. Just keep the ball. Just, just stop. Stop. They wouldn't stop. And I was like, hey, guys, you got to stop. 
Like it's it's twelve nothing. Stop. You got to stop. They wouldn't stop. And I was like, oh my god. And the other coach at the end of the game came to me. He's like, I heard you telling them to stop. I appreciate it. Blah blah. He goes, but you sort of need to move your team up a division. I said, I can't make that call yet. The league has to make that call. So my boys are doing good, but the big test is tomorrow, Sean, or Thursday. So yeah, pumped. Well, guys, I will have a post-show uh, results video. It'll be short. It'll be about, about eight, nine minutes. But we'll be back here next Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, for the Fightful MMA Podcast. Leave a thumbs up on this video if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. We're about to hit 2K. Uh, we hit the 1 million uh, view mark recently, so thank you guys for that. 1 million in just about six, seven months is nice for us. But thank you guys. Until next time, we're out. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.